Uh, welcome. I, there's so many things I could say in such a little time, but my name is Mitch. Uh, Pastor Jamie is gone. As you can see, I am not him, although at times I wish that I was. Uh, my name is Mitch Hobby. I'm one of the pastors over at Cedarbrook Church in Menominee. Which way is west? I don't even know which way I'm pointing. That, that, you had disagreement out here. <laughs> that, way is, that way is west. Okay, so I'm over there. Uh, I loved it. My family and I have been there for almost five years now and, and thoroughly love it. So, but I have to warn you, we're going to take, we're going to step out of this series that you're doing on Jonah. So if you need to leave now, if you're disappointed, that's your time to go. Uh, but Jamie did say that he will, his words, he said when he gets back, he will yell at you about Jonah and we'll do week three. Now, I don't even know what that means. He must have been speaking pretty loudly the last couple of weeks. Uh, when he gets back, that'll be week three of, of the Jonah series. So, but I am a firm believer that God is going to speak to you uh, through his word this morning and, and hopefully through me. So I'm, one more time, I'll invite you to pray with me as we get started. God, there is a hundred stories we could discuss today, but I believe that the story of the gospel of John is one that we all need to hear. Please prepare our hearts today. I ask that you speak through me and through your word in your timely name, we pray, amen. So before we dive in, just a little get-to-know-me material, whether you want that or not. Uh, I needed glasses when I was in kindergarten. Uh, so at about age six, I went from this, real handsome dude, to about this, shortly later. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. Maybe he's just 30-some years ahead of the hipster trend. That's what you're thinking. Um, but I can tell you, as a, uh, as a kid growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, any of those in the house here, late 80s, early 90s kids, uh, this meant like fewer invites to birthday parties and no dates with the ladies. That's what this, that's what this meant. As funny looking as a kid as I was, uh, I had a great childhood. I had an awesome childhood. Um, but there's a particularly touching way that my mother, my mom tells this story, uh, when they finally got me glasses. We were on the way up towards our cabin, and out in a the field there was some deer, probably a quarter mile off the road, and I, they pointed them out, and I exclaimed. I said, I can see them. I can see the deer. And it broke my parents' hearts. Uh, but at the same time, it was a sense of bittersweet because they realized, oh, wow, our son can finally see. <laughs> I can see the deer. Well, I wore glasses through my, the rest of my elementary years. I had some good years. You can show that slide. Uh, in third grade and into fourth grade. And, and, I mean, you can, there was Zubas. There was all kinds of fun 80s things in there. But uh, it's really funny because I now wore contact lenses for 25 years uh, that's a long time, and if you speak eyeball, like I do, I'm a negative 5.5 in both eyes. So that means pretty thick glasses if I've got my glasses on, if I don't want to pay the extra money for the thin lenses. But I was not blind, I was far from blind, but I know that if I took my glasses off, you would all just be blurry objects. I, I could not see you, I could not read these words. So that's, that was a, a glimpse into my, into my life. Uh, so although my blindness, so to speak, was mild and completely fixable, uh, it gives me a great deal of sympathy for those who are blind, uh, actually, legally, completely, or totally blind. Now, I know that we're just getting to know each other today, and so, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do a little fun exercise with me, a little bit of trust here. 
I want you to take a few seconds and actually close your eyes, just for just a few seconds. Humor me. You're like, oh, this is so silly. 20 seconds. Now, here's where it gets complicated. So you can watch my instructions. So open them back up so you can see what I'm about to do. So with my eyes closed, this would be harder if you were eyes closed. With your eyes closed, you'll actually take your hands and then cover your eyes and then uncover them, keeping your eyes closed. What you will start to see, now go ahead, close your eyes. And you'll take your fingers, your hands, and cover your eyes. So you just went from not seeing to total darkness. Do you see what I'm saying? Now you take your hands off, your eyes are still closed, you go as dark, not seeing to total darkness. Thank you, I appreciate you indulging me with that. Maybe you've never done that before and that was the first for you. The reason that I do it, I mean, we'll explain in a little bit, but we, and our scripture today is found in John chapter 9, and it's where Jesus and the disciples are walking and they come across a man who is born blind. And I don't think many of us take the time maybe necessary or sympathetic or sensitive enough to people who have legitimate blindness. And so to imagine a world without sight, it's not just not seeing, there's, it's, it's total and complete. So if you have a Bible with you, flip to John 9. If you have a Bible app on your phone, turn there. If you don't, you're in luck because we're going to have the text here on the screen. So there's many, many chapters building up to chapter 9, and there's lots of miracles that happen. There's lots of other stories with Jesus and his disciples. And it's as if John is building this case to try to get through to the reader who Jesus is over and over and over His gospel is is showing us that, and it's because it's important. Jesus is trying to get through to his people, and that's why John is trying to get through to us. So let's let's turn to John chapter 9, verse 1. It reads like this. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's an interesting question. i got to stop us already because some of us have, maybe we've heard that phrase, the sins of the father. Maybe we've heard that phrase. We don't really even know where it came from. I'm going to try to shed a tiny bit of light on it. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, in Exodus 20, we have the Ten Commandments or the beginning of the Ten Commandments. And some of us know that the first one reads like this in Exodus 20. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or any image or anything of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. So, we, so a lot of us know that that was the first commandment, but there's actually more text that follows shortly after before we get to the second commandment right here. It says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. The children even to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love and obey my commands. So, that's heavy. If we've never read that, that's like, whoa, what happened there? But, the, but So then in John's gospel, when the disciples are asking this question, who sinned, this man or his father? It's actually a window into a really, really common but broken way of thinking in Jesus' day. Is if there was an an ailment or an, an affliction that they assumed that there was sin and they always tied it to sin. And Jesus corrects them in verse three. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, 
But, his, but this happened so that the word of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, one of my favorite parts about Jesus is that he's very quick to redirect us. He's, uh, he's also good at showing us where the deeper question should be or that where he shows us that we're missing the point. It's all the way through all the Gospels is there's this redirection that is super valuable. I love it. So it's, in one sense, Jesus is telling the disciples, you're missing the point. You, your question is wrong. You're asking the wrong question. He flips the question around and turns this man's blindness into an opportunity for action. It's an opportunity for love and healing. And it's not about sin and law. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I know where some of your minds are going because mine went there too. It's like, well, that doesn't explain everything. Not every tragedy is an, is an opportunity, but it's up, that's up to God. But I, so some of us have that question. Of this is, I'm not suggesting that this is an answer to why bad things happen to good people or to why my dad's uncle died in a car accident. Like that's, I don't think that this is an answer to that question. I don't think Jesus meant for it to be wholesaled across all types of things like your breakup with your boyfriend or your bankruptcy or male pattern baldness. I don't think that's what, what it meant. <laughs> Instead, I believe that Jesus is shifting the point by focusing on he shifts it from who sinned, which is a negative question. He's shifting it from who sinned over to the potential of God, the capacity of God, which is a positive. So can God decide to make me suddenly start growing hair? Sure, he can if he wants to. If he feels like that is necessary to bring him glory, it's within his ability. That's all sort of silly, but this is up to God. And Jesus is pointing out this is God's opportunity to be his glory to be revealed. He says, as long as it is day, the, sorry, I skipped ahead there. Uh, Jesus' point, sorry, Jesus' point is that we need to be looking for God. That's what he's trying to show the disciples. He's trying to show them, heads up, there's always an opportunity to be revealing God's glory. That's what he says. As, this is his text that he uses. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. All right. So that is all, that's a massive intro into the heart of our text. So if you, most of you are pretty dialed in. Sometimes when we're at Cedarbrook, I catch a few people, they're already sleeping by this point. So that's all a big intro, but it's really good. Check this out. So Jesus then suggests that the disciples have missed the point, and now he's going to show them how to, in it, how to engage God while revealing more of who he is. So after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So clearly this must have been before COVID. (laughs) All right, I'm looking for a volunteer so I can demonstrate this. I brought some sand. No, no, I'm just joking. Some people have a thing with the eyes. I, I couldn't resist. That was for you, Pastor James. How many of you cringed a little bit? Uh, Either way, Jesus makes a mud pie and exfoliates this guy's eyes. 
There's something about this text that I always wonder why was that part necessary? Couldn't Jesus have simply just healed him? But there's this, we're going to get into it, that there's this call to obedience. There's a step that this man must take, which is really, really interesting. Jesus tells the man, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The text even says the word means sent. It's as if Jesus is fulfilling the name of the pool by sending this man to be healed. His obedience is part of the miracle. I'll say that again. His obedience is part of the miracle. You'll also notice that this miracle is full of action words. And then in verse 7 ends by saying, So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So you go from the disciples' negative question to Jesus twisting or, or changing to an answer of positivity. Then he calls the disciples to action through this miracle. He shows them. Jesus acts. He shows them how to engage. Jesus calls the man to go and wash. And the man acts. He responds. He had a choice. He didn't have to listen, but he did. And obedience leads to the completion of this miracle. It seems, here's what's crazy. It seems like this story could end right there. And I think we would all cheer for Jesus. We would cheer for the blind man because his sight has been restored. But if you know this text at all, if you're familiar, this text is the entire chapter of John 9. So what happens here, I don't think we can leave it out because I think John is trying to point out what blindness really means for all of us. So check this out. I'm going to go a little faster because the text is long. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't it the same man that used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. (laughs) How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Again, you could have ended it there. There's like three more endings that could have been, but it's all leading us somewhere, and we have to trace the whole text. This man, it could have ended after one round of doubt or one round of this man's insisting, but it keeps going. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. They they drug him, or I don't know what they did. They dragged him or said, you have to follow us. So they brought him to the Pharisees, which are the spiritual or, or church leaders of the Jewish um, synagogue. Now the, on the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Interesting. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. This is going to get a little bit redundant. He put mud on my eyes, <laughs> the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such a sign? So they were divided. Does it end here? No. (laughs) Doubting the man wasn't enough. Now they need to doubt Jesus as well. The next 17 says, then they turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Done yet? Nope. 18, they still, they still did not believe that he had been blind (laughs) and received his sight. John, this is, I mean, I'm just going to have to acknowledge it. It's sounding redundant, but John, redundancy in scripture is always for a purpose. It is to drive home a point that we might miss. 
Our culture is all about expedient and proficiency, and we have to understand that the, the uh, being redundant is to make sure that we do not miss what's happening. They still did not believe that he had been born blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. This is getting absurd. Is this your son? <laughs> They asked, is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age, ask him. And a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. They gave him one last chance. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And the man born blind replied, Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know I was blind, but now I see. That's powerful. And once again, this is where most sermons, most messages end because that is a powerful statement. That is his testimony. Many of us in this room can already catch the metaphor and the parallel. We were once blind and now we see spiritually. But this text does not end because John is not done. It's maddening though that these people will not give up that this could be possible. But now the man gets to kick in his frustration, the blind man. Imagine you just regained sight of for your entire life and this, you're stuck in an argument with these buffoons. You want to go see the world, literally. Then he asked them, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the man said, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? A little bit of smite. Then he hurled insults at him, or then they, sorry, they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a blind man before. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, get this, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. The Pharisees tripled down on their unbelief. What we're seeing is all part of Jesus' plan. This began with a man born blind and the disciples asking a sort of incorrect or distorted question. It was as if Jesus pointed out the disciples' blindness to show them the opportunity for God to reveal his glory. Then next we have those neighbors and the people around the pool who don't believe or choose to remain blind to the truth as well. And then lastly, these Pharisees. Truly, there's nobody more blind than the Pharisees. And this is the juxtaposition, the irony that Jesus is creating and John is is capturing here. It's although the responses go from sort of an ignorant blindness with the disciples 
to a really staunch choice to remain blind. It's as if there's a continuum being created here by John. Are we starting to see that continuum yet? Now, this is the end. John closes chapter 9 out this way. He really drives it home as Jesus once again finds the man born blind after all of this insanity. Jesus heard that he had, they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Ladies and gentlemen, I get choked up. Jesus came to show us our blindness. He came to judge. So who are we? I don't know about you, but it is so easy for me to think that I have got it right or figured out. I'm one of the types of people where I'm politely stubborn. (laughs) If there's such a thing, that's a new phrase. I'm very politely stubborn. What, What if today I realize I am more like the disciples and I'm just simply asking the wrong questions? I'm focused on the wrong thing or I have the wrong set of lenses on to be able to see this correctly. What if I'm focusing on a version of Jesus that is steeped in law and leaves out grace and healing and mercy? Am I missing the point sometimes? Worse yet, worse yet but totally still possible, what if I am choosing my blindness? What if it is a staunch choice? Is it possible that I am the naysayer? Am I a Pharisee in this situation? I had to wrestle with this text and and ask myself, where am I a Pharisee? Where I think I've got it so right that I am pointing out other people's sin or other people's wrongness. God will work wherever he wants to if it means he he will be glorified through it. God has that ability. He will grow his kingdom. Who am I to say where God can do his work? The Pharisees refused to believe this man and who said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. The man whose life was forever changed is discredited. Then his healer is put to shame and he didn't, because he didn't heal him the way they wanted him to heal him. They wouldn't have been okay with it anyways. Even if he would have done it on a non-Sabbath day, they would have, they would have just struggled to find another reason to corner him. The Pharisees have put God in a box so small that there is no room for Jesus. And he's doing miracles one after another. What about us? Back to the continuum. We're about to close this out. Where are we on the continuum of blindness? We best be honest. Are you ready for God to work in your life? God is pointing it out, or Jesus is pointing it out to the disciples that this man's blindness, yes, it is real and it's legitimate, but it's also an opportunity for God to work. Where are there opportunities in your life for God to be doing his work?
Are you ready to take action and bring him glory? Can we stop putting God in a box that suits our way of thinking? Lastly, maybe you came here this morning simply not seeing. You remember, that was all for a point. Not seeing. Maybe some of you came here, and if you're really honest, there was total darkness. You feel lost. You feel like you don't see where God is at work. And you want that blindness to be healed. Jesus says in John 8, just a chapter before, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Renew, church, if we've been blind at all, are we ready to see again? I invite you to pray with me. God, you see everything, and that includes my heart. Lord, if I've been blind to your miracles, whether ignorant or by choice, please forgive me. If I've been blind to your presence, your spirit's work in my heart, the work you're doing all around me, God, please forgive me. I want to ask the right questions. I want to be ready to act, especially, God, if it brings you glory. As we've been blind in our sin, please help us see again, Lord. We pray this all in your perfect name. Amen. Amen.